Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. No music, no intro. We're excited about this one, guys. We've, we've been wanting to get our next, our next guests on the pod for a while. Um, you, know, you may know him from NFL.com. He's on the super acclaimed around the NFL podcast. Uh, we, don't, we don't know how much he actually enjoys football, which that which makes him a, a better guest to be on this show. <laughs> the, the one and only Mark Sessler. Uh, how you doing, Mark? Good, good to have you on, man. Um, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. You know, I do enjoy football, but uh, you know, it, 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 a little harder for a Saints fan of recent days to understand. But um, as a Browns fan, you know, you have to just—it's been a—it's been sort of a 20-year-long car wreck. Uh, you have to turn your eyes away. Um, at points and, and just um, take stock of where you are in life, often not in a good place. So um, football is not always the escape that it could be for some. Um, it sometimes just takes me right into the darkness. So what, so let's get right into it, right? So what's worse? Like the Browns are having their best season since 2007, since Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards were going crazy. Don't know why I remember that, but, but I'm sick. So obviously they've had their darkness and then you've had the Saints playoff catastrophes of the 49ers game, the divisional round in 2011 season, Minnesota Miracle, the no call in NFC championship game. Like which one is, which one is worse? Like what pain is worse? It's a great question because I think it digs into the, the old Bill Simmons levels of losing um, dialogue. And, you know, when I became a Browns fan and I'm, I'm old. So uh, this was in 1986. It was months before, and I, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. I had a friend move from Cleveland. He was like, for, ditch the Giants. And I was sort of a Cowboys Giants fan, which made no sense. He's like, enough with those teams, become a Browns fan. So I did. And months later, um, Bill Parcells and the Giants won the Super Bowl um, a couple of weeks after the Browns had endured the drive. And so oh. That was to me, um, I was a young, very young football fan and I felt super hard for that Browns team. The next year they had the fumble and I was like 10 times more into that Browns team the next year. I knew like um, I would get these super nerdy uh, newsletters that would arrive from you know the Cleveland area, Browns News Illustrated. They'd, they'd, they'd show up six days late, but I, would, I knew every player, I knew all their wives. I knew some of the girlfriends, the names of the girlfriends, every detail. The fumble oh, happened and it how many shattered details me. was in this guy. Like <laughs> it look, it's it I my obsession was so deep and the fumble happened and it literally um changed my viewpoint of sports. And I think it made me in seventh grade, a much more cynical individual. And then, you know, Belichick came along and then the move happened. And it's like, you think the oh. fumble's bad. You know, you think that the uh, the drive is hard to sit with. Like I literally had gone to college. Um, and it was just like, just get me through college as fast as possible. I want to, I had already written the Browns like 300 letters that I am going to work for 
this team one way or another. I don't care if I have to sweep leaves out on the practice field to start because I have no life experience. And uh, in the end, um, they moved months before I graduated. So I was left into a total abyss where I had no idea what to do with my life. Like I had planned the last seven or eight years to become a Browns employee and move to Cleveland, which is an odd um, thing for someone in their 20s to want to do. It never lived in Ohio. <laughs> Long story short, I mean, I, I would say that those losses were intensely painful and they're memorable. And I would still even sometimes go watch those games again. What, yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the losing for 20 years is like, you're just sort of in this driftless swamp where on top of it, you know, you're, you're the lowest possible class in the NFL because Cleveland's also had these, you know, the Johnny Manziel's and the Brandon Ooh. Weeding getting lost on, under an American flag. I mean, it's one folly <laughs> after the next where on top of just being a terrible football team years on end, you're a clown. You're, you're, you, you follow 53 clowns in a coaching staff um, that typically are clowns before they're fired. So it is hard for me to say which is worse, but the second one has gone on for so long that um, I literally, like even this year, because we're always working during these games, um, I'll have to maybe circle back around, around 10 at night on a Sunday and kind of drink in the Cleveland even beat a team of any yeah. worth. Um, so it's, I, I wouldn't say one's worse or better. They're both pretty evil in their own ways. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, I've been a Saints fan long long enough since, you know, uh, early 90s, you know, with the Dome Patrol and oh, all yeah. that stuff. So they were pretty good. You know, they were, they were a pretty good team, just good enough to lose in the playoffs uh, in, during that time. And then, you know, there were the dark years of, you know, the Mike Dicka, the Mike Dicka era and <laughs> – you know, <laughs> Ricky Williams yeah. with the, you know, Ricky Williams and the Mike Dicker dreadlocks and the wedding dress. And, and you know, and that was, that was exciting times back then. Like, you know, it's like, I didn't care about the draft picks. I'm like, hell yeah, Ricky Williams, we're going to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, the forgettable Hazlitt errors, which were actually good times relatively <laughs> compared to years prior, prior to that. And so I try to tell Saints fans now, like the younger Saints fans, like, man, like this, like I know the heartbreak hurts. Like it hurts. Like there's no way around it. But like these are some good times. Your team is like winning and in games every weekend. You know, winning. You know, 10, 11, 12, 13 games every year. Going to the playoffs. Yes, got embarrassed every year. But you, you mean you're in it. You have a chance. So it's I guess it's trying to like trying to strike that balance of enjoying you know your team contending and not letting yourself just get demoralized and crushed, you know, when let's face it, it's hard to win a Super Bowl. You just, unless you're winning a Super Bowl, you're going to be crushed. You know? Yeah. The, the moment's coming at some point, you know, I have a 10 year old named Luke and he, um, I did not force them to, to become Browns fans because we live in Los Angeles and there's just no direct DNA connection on some level. And it's not, it's not, you know, it hasn't been passed down in my house from generation to generation. Mm. Luke is a saints fan. And like, I kind of love that because he gets fired up to watch them. And, but I had tried to explain to him that, you know, uh, Drew Brees is not someone who's got another 20 years of this under the belt. Like I would enjoy this while you can, there are major questions lingering. He he's 10. He doesn't understand the salary cap or future yeah. uh, quarterback uh, designations, but um, you know, you're right. Just try to enjoy it. And kids, kids don't root for losers. Typically they're, they're not, no. that's not part of their day. So the saints are a perfect introduction uh, for him. They are. And it's, it's funny. I remember when my daughter was born, 
when she was like up to like maybe three years old. Like I was like, oh, like I'm gonna make her like a diehard Saints fan, just like I I am or I was at the time. And as I got older and as she got older, I realized I was like, why would I like put this this madness and sadness on my kid for her to like live with it like it's bad enough that I have it or I had it like why do I want that for her so I had to stop myself from putting like that juju of like I want you to be a Saints fan because I don't want her to experience those painful losses like be a kid and like if you grow up liking a team like pick your team or whatever but like I don't want to be the cause for like the the dark days of it being Monday and the Saints lost and you're just pissed for just no reason, like not wanting to go to work. Like I, I didn't want, I, so I had to like wean myself. And yeah, it's stop pretty evolved dad work right there because you, I, I get the people that um, tell me, you know, you're a, you don't understand what you're doing as a, as a dad involved with sports. You, you should definitely have your kids um, root for your team. And, but for the same reasons you're saying, it's like, they've got enough to deal with uh, right here during <laughs> Corona time. I have no idea what the long term uh, projections or fallout from this will be for, you know, for them psychologically, you think I'm going to force them to become Browns fans on top of this. Like I'm going to lay off on that mission for a bit. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm just, I, I'm a, like, I'm like, it's to the point where like, I'm a social worker. Like I'm calling like DCFS and CPS on other parents that are doing that for their kids. Like stop that. <laughs> it's abuse. Don't, don't, don't do it. It's emotional abuse. Um, speaking so Ryan and I are, and we're, and I hope Ryan uses the picture when he posts the, the audio. <laughs> uh, I like, the, I feel like Ryan and I are the only people that have this picture of you saved in our phones, and we love it. <laughs> we made it a goal of ours to be make you become a meme, and it didn't happen. But it may happen tonight and tomorrow when you're at the draft, and they drafted. Um, yeah, Johnny Menzel, and that that picture of you with your hands cusp, and you're just just you're in heaven, you're elated, and that picture is not, but well, it, it, it's hilarious. But the story it tells yeah. is that of every fucking diehard fan of their team yeah. of like this is it, like this is the fucking hope, yeah. like the my, our fortunes are gonna fucking change and just like it's just a it's a wonderful picture it's a hilarious picture and i think it it so accurately paints sports and how crazy fucking sports are that just that moment is just like yeah. it's like oh, it's, it's like it's like dopamine you know it's just an injection in your system where it's like you just for that little moment you just feel this happiness and I, I don't know, it's priceless. It's, it's kind of messed up, but it's also like great at the same time. It's so weird though. <laughs> it, that night, uh, a few little items from that night because- Was that the Justin Gilbert draft too or am I tripping? Yeah. Um, let's see. When Yeah, because I think they took him like number four. You're right. And that that <laughs> might've been, that that is arguably a bigger disaster than Manziel was. So- <laughs> Uh, little did I, I thought, oh, this is icing on the cake. We have Mike Pettin. He's getting his lockdown. Justin, you know, we're getting our lockdown cornerback along with Manziel. Um, that, those, that's when they did the draft at Radio City. 
And yeah. what they do is if you're a, if you're a journalist, like you're basically just stuck in these tiny little radio city music hall seats that were built for people like 80 years ago. And I guess everyone was like five foot five and a hundred pounds, but you know, you can't even fit in these seats. And on top of it, you got a laptop and um, I was sitting next to Dan Hanses, who essentially suffered like a back injury from sitting in those seats for two days. That was a crazy draft. Um, that night, we, we didn't really do our roundup podcast till almost two in the morning. And I genuinely was elated. And uh, Dan and I went back to, uh, I think it was my hotel room. You know, we were just going to call in for like, I think, 15 or 20 minutes. We weren't doing, I think, the whole show, if I have it right. Uh, you know, we had a few brews and um, on top of it, we were blasting Steve Winwood's Call On Me, a trance version, um, a trance techno version of Call On Me at like epic volume levels in our hotel room <laughs> with the windows open and just shouting out the windows because all week long, I'd kind of been thinking like, would Cleveland pull the trigger on Manziel? And when it happened in my world, I thought we have just found the most transformative, exciting quarterback around. Now I know he has a few issues, but I'm not concerned with that tonight. Um, it obviously ended horribly, but I had that video, I believe was taken by Dave Damashek, um, <laughs> notorious Steelers fan who was saying, if you listen to it, I think he's saying, how do you feel? How do you feel? And it's like, I'm thinking this might actually get us over the Steelers hump. Now, how does Damashek feel knowing that that just sunk us deeper into um, a hideous hole? But I, I, that was like a night when I think I still had um, incredible hope and it couldn't have turned out to be a bigger disaster so if that's a meme um, I hope it's also a warning sign to yeah. people that, you know yeah. I'm fine with it being a meme exactly. as long as you know if you're a social worker I love that um, let's help people socially not to be the rube that I was that evening it's it's funny you say that just in terms of a, of a as a prospect like there is the warning signs like I feel like especially like when you know you know you got you know you're married Ryan's married I'm in a relationship but like back in your earlier days when there's like that, that girl and there, there's all the warning signs, like there's, they're just flashing and you're yeah. just trying to convince yourself like, oh my God. Like, I feel like that was like with you and Johnny Menzel that night. Like you didn't, you, you didn't care. You yeah, were. No. And, the, and I think it was like a couple days later. Um, and you know, people there were, there were right away. I had people saying, watch out. Um, and I started to do my, it was April, uh, you know, th th not a lot going on. I started to go into like deep research mode at night about Manziel and read articles. And I started to become a little concerned. And then I think the Patriots scouting report on Manziel came out. Um, and it basically, it felt like, uh, you know, like a police bulletin. And so I, I, was, I was like, well, maybe the Patriots are wrong. Cause like, I'm sure they could be wrong about something sometime. And remember the next day of that draft on round two is I was like rolling into Radio City thinking I was suddenly, um, you know, ahead of the curve. Josh Gordon was suspended like minutes into round two. Oh, and yeah. Like th there was this sort of dark energy that started to enter the entire um, Browns zeitgeist at that moment. And it never really improved because the season hinged on they had Kyle Shanahan at that point, too. I mean, yeah. things were looking oh, good. He turned right. He turned Brian Hoyer into really the best version of Brian Hoyer until late in the year when that got fixed um, teams realized we can destroy Brian Hoyer. Alex Mack, the center went out, the line fell apart and Manziel was put in, I believe it was against the Bengals first and then the Panthers. And he just looked non-functional and you started to realize he's not prepared. He's not studied the playbook. 
um, there are reports of him doing Molly with Josh Gordon at like two in the morning, like in a high rise. So, you know, it spun totally out of control. <laughs> what a mess. Those were underrated. Those are some underrated times. Like Johnny Manziel, that was a like, we kind of forget how crazy it was. Like remember during the draft, there was all the talk. Like, how, how does he look in pads? Can he carry the pads? And he came out like in full pads. At his uh, pro day. Oh, the pro day. He, yeah, yeah. He had full yep. pads on and a helmet. Drake playing on the speakers. I, I think uh, I think George H.W. Bush was there in his wheelchair. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what is going on? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about all that. This, is, this is nuts, man. But that's the, that's part of why we love just the NFL because it's it's really a, like a crazy reality TV show. Which is like you know, I mean, both me and Adam, our favorite show is obviously around the you know around the NFL podcast. How just how did that come about? Because you know, all you guys are from different parts of the world. You kind of all seem to have gotten into this job just from different. You know, Greg Roto World and Chris Westling, and I don't know, Dan was writing for a newspaper somewhere. I don't know how how did you get how did your path lead to doing that podcast? Well, so I had grown up. Um... Uh, in the in the 80s and in early 90s, that's when I went to high school, and I really wanted to be a sportscaster. But back then, I mean, it's so different. Uh, you your your only pathway was really to become like one of 20 people doing that. Uh, and, and you know, I was years away from that even being a reality. Um, so I looked for colleges that would have those kinds of programs when I got out of high school, and I went to one. I went to Ithaca College, and within a, like a I don't, this could be a two hour long story. I mean, I'll give you the shorter version, but I basically transferred colleges like three times and it became like a thing where I knew I wanted to write. Um, sports became like, it, my college thing became all about um, that part of the career when I was at Ithaca and it felt like this intense pressure. And I was like 20 or 19 or 20 and like not having any fun. So I kind of just ran away from that whole career arc and dream. I was like the nerd walking around with like a Bob Costas pro set football card in my wallet when I was young, because I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, I probably would have benefited from enjoying um, aspects of youth a little bit more, um, getting some of that out of the system. Uh, I floated across the country uh, wanting to be a writer, but I didn't even know what that meant. And it was, you know, highly pretentious. I wasn't actually writing. I just wanted to tell people that's what I wanted to do. I mean, that's um, like a classic failure plan right there. Uh, temp job after temp job. I finally just got to Los Angeles in, in 2005. Um, hideous jobs, but terrible, um, like carved out death stars in downtown LA, just awful, awful offices. Um, uh, I felt like completely far away career wise, but I had a friend who said, look, man, like um, you live like blocks away from NFL.com. And I knew I, I knew that because I used to jog by it. He's like, I have a friend who's an editor there. They're ramping up a little bit. They're looking for editors. And I was like, I want to do this, but I haven't done this since like college. I haven't done it in like, I'm an adult with no skill set in this area. Uh, the editor, Justin Hathaway, who's worked at a ton of places and knows everyone in the business, he, uh, he basically said, look, I, I love your passion because we had a good couple phone conversations. I was like, I'm going to need help, but I will work my ass off for you. I'll work late. I'll work off the grid, um, whatever it needs. And that became a three-day-a-week job. I left a corporate job. We had just had a child, um, uh, or we were just about to have a child. And I left like a pretty well-paid because it was a terrible job in downtown LA to do this three-day-a-week thing where I was being paid 
like a UC USC intern. And um, so credit to my wife for allowing that to even begin in the first place. But that three day a week job um, grew as NFL.com grew. Dan Hansis came a couple weeks later, uh, but then the lockout happened and we both thought we would lose our jobs. But thankfully, because um, we were essentially like, if they're looking at like the, like the payroll, who do we have to, you know, we, they, they were getting rid of people. This guy makes too much. She makes too much. This guy does no work, but he's making right. six figures. We're making like $12 an hour. So we, we wouldn't even show up on their papers. So they kept us. Jeez, um, 12 bucks but, an hour? Well, I mean, it was, I mean, honestly, I think it was $18 an hour or something like that. I, I don't remember. That's, I mean, it was like, crazy. it was insane. And like, it was really just like, a, we're, you're giving yourself six months. I mean, I was in my thirties. Like you're giving yourself um, six months for this to work. And I think yeah. right around that time limit, it became a five day a week job with a pay hike and it, got a little bit better. And so Dan and I started, thanks to Dave Damashek again, um, something called the Debate Club. Yeah, and we would just little 10 minute segments on the end of Damashek's um, wonderful podcast. And uh, we, were like, we were all about it, like, this is our thing. It started as, as this hideous written um, piece called He Said, He Said where we would debate a topic um, on old clunky looking NFL.com way back when, where we each have yeah. like a column. I mean, and, and quickly someone said, you guys are going nowhere with this. Like, why don't you try doing like a little 10 minute broadcast thing? And so it was a great idea. We loved it. Uh, Greg um, became our boss at, uh, not too far after that. And there was some time where I think both of us wondered, like, you know, Greg has been in the industry for a long time. Uh, he, he knows exactly what he wants. He's going to hire like the best possible people. I'm thinking, how am I the best possible person for this? I've been in the industry for like a year. I'm like still studying rosters at night, but you know, that all worked out. Greg joined the show. He hired Wes and we went through, you know, initially the plan was you can only have two people on the show at once. Well, the you other, you other two guys have to be down grinding, writing stories. Well, somehow we won that battle. Pretty soon after, that was around 2013, I'd say. And we've been doing three shows a week ever since. And um, I think that you're right that because we all come from really different paths and different um, experience levels and backgrounds that um, it makes the show what it is because we're all probably surprising each other and um, generating certain amount of outrage with our opinions at times because we are not all cut from the same cloth. No, you that I think you hit it. You hit it right on. And and honestly, like I know there's been so many times that you know Ryan and I will have listened to an episode, um, and I'll tell like especially like when you guys were recording uh, in the office. But when they're just they're just grinding your gears and like oh. <laughs> you you just you just start fuming. Like to, I don't know why, but it's. The, and I know that, like, <laughs> you probably, you're so annoyed, but it's so comedic. Like, it, it just, it's literally sometimes, like, the best part of, of, of the shows. And like, it's, just, it's just hilarious. It's, and I know, like, in the moment, you're just ready to just strangle It's real. Someone. I mean, it's like, like I don't. Oh, like, yeah, we it's know. like, um, and, I, you know, I think it's a lot less of that when we're, we've been obviously remote since, you know, March. Yeah. And I, I also, I think, um I had a lot of like, I always like just have a lot of maturing to do as a person. I mean, I have to like work on my emotions, not overtaking the whole thing. And, and um, there were, there's probably four or five times that I look back and say like, that was 
that was a bad job by you. Like you're getting too riled up. There are other times when it does feel like it's, you know, part of the moment and comedic, um, but there's a fine line there. And I think especially during the Corona time business, uh, trying to just understand that even if people seem like they're doing like a lot better than you, um, that might not be the case. Uh, but not, you know, but, but frankly, like when we were all in the same room and it's usually that what one thing would, that would come after like being in the office for eight or nine hours. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, man, I need to go, I need to go take like a two mile walk by myself, but it's like a still three more hours of like everyone talking and like, we're here until 10 at night. And it's a great, it's like a dream job. But at the same time, no matter what your job is like, like it's I would job. just start to lose my, um, resources yeah. you know and so you know it's really yeah it, it, like it, it, i would never try to manufacture that business because um i don't think that you'd have to be an actor to do that and it's more just like i'm genuinely annoyed at times and probably most annoyed at myself because i'll get in a minute into one of these uh freakouts and realize you know more people than you realize are listening to this and you seem like a complete ass and so maybe simmer down a bit um but i don't have a, a resource to do that at times <laughs> I, I mean, I always loved it because it it always came off kind of like the movie The Office, where like these guys really are just like regular people that work in the office in the cubicles. You know, yes, they write for the you know NFL, but it's not as glamorous as it sounds. And you know, just, you guys are just regular regular people that you know just talking about football. And I get, I think it always just came across. Uh, it came across well, obviously, because you know the podcast is so is so successful. And genuine, it comes across very genuine. Yeah, I I think like um, that you know we've never ever talked about how long it would go on for. Uh, I think that you know from just a societal angle, like the fifty-eight year old version of the four of us probably would like the Q rating would dip pretty low at that point. Um, (laughs) But it's as long as it stays real, and I think that you know we've been through real stuff. you know, off the field or we're never on a field. So like, I guess, uh, you know, outside of work, but um, we, we are friends. I think that it's, you know, we all have, we didn't all start with kids um, or in Wes's case, even married. Um, but so a lot, yeah, life has changed. Crazy. And, you know, it's like with you guys, like- you I don't think, uh, I don't think Dan had kids when y'all started, right? No, no, um, I did. And I, I had kids earlier than, the, than those guys. I think Greg yeah. came right in the middle of that too. Yeah, um, then yeah. Dan did. I mean, Dan got married after I met him um, and his wife's awesome. But, uh, you know, I, we, we weren't close enough for me to be invited to that wedding. So I don't know. It's not like kind of like a Mike in the Mad Dog <laughs> scenario where I wasn't invited to Dan's wedding. Um, I don't think about that. Like he he he's been a wonderful friend. I, th- I would like to think I'd be invited if he got married again, although I'm not suggesting <laughs> that should happen. Uh, I, it just it, I just let it be known that. And I can't, I don't know about Ryan, like Dan's been blocked for like almost like two years on Twitter by me. Like, so. <laughs> I didn't know that. Listen, I, there's only, there's only so much snooty opinions of Star Wars and MCU movies and superhero movies that I can take where it's just like, you know what? I don't like, at, like the bit at first was like, whatever, like kind of amusing, but like, he just really just chose to like lean into it. And I'm like, I, I don't have time for you, bro. <laughs> like, like, I think that was to annoy me, but it sounds like I think he annoyed you. It was hundred percent to annoy you without yes. question. But like, yes. I was like, you know, yeah, this is, this is fun. No, no offense to the, your, your friend that didn't invite you to his wedding. But no. <laughs> Adam, Adam, like there are people that will be on our podcast that Adam has blocked. So <laughs> that has not happened yet. <laughs> Yes. 
<laughs> I think that's, look at, you have to go with your feelings. And if, if someone, um, once they were enjoyable to be around and they just become too annoying, uh, that button is there for a reason. So, uh, out, you know. out of your life. I mean, right. I learned, I learned from Patrick, you know, Patrick is the, the most notorious blocker that I know, oh. but I just try to, just try to take my lead. Patrick uh, is next level. Yeah. Yes, he I, is. I, I'm almost at 1300 people now. <laughs> just, you know, just, just, I'll tell you, I, Wes is up there. Wes, Wes yeah. is a, um, a master blocker himself, um, to the point where it, even two hours ago, I had someone DM me and say, hey, I want to send Wes um, well wishes, but he blocked me and I don't know why. And I, like, I've, I just stopped inter interceding on those matters because, you know, yeah. Wes doesn't, doesn't need that. that um, but no. I, but the, it's the, the requests are too many. I don't, that's, that's the issue. Ryan also will get like a DM or something of like, hey, why, is, why does the host of your podcast have me blocked? Like, well, you must have said something. So. While asking me to come on the show next week, why are both of those things happening? <laughs> and and it's, you, you brought up Wes and obviously, you know, the, the best well wishes to Wes and hope he recovers. But like Wes has also been blocked for like six years too. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> He'd respect it. He'd respect it. <laughs> Um, so speaking of, you know, we brought up, we brought up Star Wars, something that we, we did want to talk to you about is like, we are all a huge fan of Star Wars. Um, and obviously you, you grew up on it. Um, I didn't grow up on it. I got into it, uh, later as a teen. And it's just crazy that now, like my, my daughter is super into Star Wars, just like I am. Um, so I'm going to pose you with this first question. Cause I know what, what, what me and Ryan think, what were your thoughts on the Disney sequel trilogy, um, three movies that, that they did. So um, you're in LA, you know, the Grove. And like, I, like I took a day off from work um, when, it, when, when The Force Awakens came out. I was very compelled by the preview for that. I went to see oh. The Force Awakens um, and, and I'm 47. So the first movie that I ever saw in a theater and I, I was in England and I still have a really bizarre childhood memory of my dad driving me to the theater to see Star Wars. And I, I didn't understand a lot that was happening, but it was made for someone even at the age of three to get who the good guys and the bad guys were. So there was this like, um, I think I've never, I, I've always felt that Star Wars is, has a really tough task to appeal to someone my age with their new projects because it can never be what it was. But The Force Awakens made me, and I like, I honestly, um, when hot when with what happened to Han Solo, yeah, and and then at the end, um, because Luke Skywalker was always my dude, um, when he pulls the hood off, and you see him standing there, and he looks like the most epic version of an aged Luke Skywalker um, I could have imagined, and the look on his face, like I just broke down and I broke down crying, um, which you know I like I don't know why people say they don't do their movies, like I it just like cer certain movies. Oh, yeah. do that to me. Right. And like, right. I couldn't leave the theater for like 20 minutes and I like, I, I couldn't eat. Um, I couldn't even go get like a celebratory beer. I just walked around for a while and I thought had so much hope about what was going to come next. Uh -oh. And I don't like, I think the thing is that for the last Jedi on its own, if there was no before or after it, you could look at it and say, this is a very interesting um, take on Star Wars. And it's cool that we have different directors getting a chance to do this. And like Rian Johnson's done other stuff I really like. But in terms of connecting 
the first movie with the second, um, and don't even get me started on the third. No, no, I, get, I, get, get started. I, I will, I will. Like, I can't believe, first of all, I think the biggest offense, um, the coolest character, the new character to me was Finn. Because Finn, like the idea that like you, these faceless stormtroopers had such a complex backstory and that he had this sort of moral um, dilemma and question and where he was from, it's classic hero telling, where you are at the start of the movie of Force Awakens right. to the end. Um, we had a we had the great new Star Wars character because I like I love Ray and Daisy Ridley, but like she sort of arrived super powerful. And I, I think that yeah. the, the yeah. sin of, of Ray was that she never really like Luke becoming Luke Skywalker and Speak Han becoming it. Han, right? Like yeah. Ray did not develop as a character. And um no. right. And so that in that so the, the second one I think just it created a lot of negativity. Um I went and saw that after a terrible cult's. Uh, Broncos Thursday night game back in whatever year uh, Last Jedi came out in. I was in a funk and the, mov the movie never brought me out of it. And I, and I think I've never just um, really reconciled with The Last Jedi on that front. And then the third one, I was just watching the third one um, the other night. And I'll tell you why, because it was like, I have no memories of it. I remember going to the theater and thinking like, oh, there were these moments that made me feel good. And like, I thought that, you know, J.J. Abrams was put into a terrible position on what to do with the third one. I like, I like, I, I always like I would love to write a Star Wars movie, but like not that one. Um, no. And the first act felt like an intense acid trip. There were so oh. many things happening, and by the end, like I just thought this movie and this whole sequel trilogy has completely lost itself. Yeah. And the idea, and like you look at like compare it real quick to Lord of the Rings, where Peter Jackson and Philippa Boyens. They, like, they were the only ones that had read Lord of the Rings. No one in the studios, like higher ups had. And so there were no checks and balances. No one's gonna tell Peter Jackson, I don't think you should do this with this character. They'd never heard of any of those characters. So they were in complete control. And the synergy from the first minute to the end, um, the through line was powerful. I think this sequel trilogy never had any idea what it wanted to be. I think that frankly, it was like, we are going to create powerful a powerful female character I'm cool with that. Princess Leia yeah. was too, but I'm cool with that. Um, and, and like Poe is was a bridge too far. I don't think we ever needed Poe. Finn was completely lost in The Last Jedi. Um, in fact, I think that they did a total disservice to his character and he never really came back around or was given a chance to in the third one to be anything more than someone that became almost faceless. He and Poe were like, are you meant to be sort of the same character that they split into two? Uh, yeah. was, you know, Kylo Ren had all this potential. I mean, I think it's just like yeah. this lost potential and I'm rambling there, but I think it's just a lost potential after what was a really good opening act. Yeah, I, you, I think you said it, you said it best and I've watched, I've read and watched enough videos and just the whole lack of vision and that's and that's what's in, so insane is that with Disney you have a company that has the MCU that legitimately planned out like eighteen movies that interconnected, and with Star Wars and the sequel trilogy you had Kathleen Kennedy, but like there was no consistent plan from you know Episode Seven then completely changed the eight and then yeah. a lot of, and then in nine they're retconning everything that happened like that that is just it was just jumbled and yeah. it's like you're under the same umbrella like and now now you now you're gonna get kevin feige to help like 
Like, I, I don't... I don't... Yeah. And, I, it, I guess, and it also felt like there was no one that really cared about Star Wars. Like, really cared. Mm, there like, it is. fans do. Well, Whereas, the, the only... The only person that cared was Mark Hamill because, yes, like, yeah. throughout the entire filming of The Last Jedi, he was burying Ryan Johnson at every yeah. turn. Every turn. It's like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> it's, I like, I, the other thing that, like, I don't know. I Like, the, the third one I thought was, a, the more I think about it, it becomes a little more offensive to me because... Mm. The like the way that Lando showed up suddenly out of nowhere. There's all these like oh incredibly God. random moments. It's like had that ship not. I was watching this, um, you know, and I'd gone down the same path that uh, Greg went down before his first episode with you guys. So I was trying to like make sense of it from um, a different <laughs> mindset. Uh, in that, you know, you know what I'm saying. And like <laughs> the ship lands on uh, crash lands on that like sand dune. Yeah. They all sink below the earth oh. and they find that magical knife. Um, oh my god! It's like, well, wait a minute. What if the ship had crash landed like right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what what's happening here? Like this is way too easy. It's like you're breaking every screenwriting rule, and then Lando just appears out of nowhere. It was, out of nowhere. Hold on here, people. I mean, the moment the moment that did it. Well, it was a couple moments, but there was the whole Chewie Chewie's quote unquote death, and it's like emotional moment because it's like, okay, this is Chewie. Right. But then it's like, oh, he's not dead. Like, he's <laughs> JK! <laughs> Just joking. And then there was that, you know, the whole knife thing. And they were on a planet where, like, part of the Death Star crashed somehow. I don't know. But part of the Death Star crashed. <laughs> Even though we saw, like, it completely <laughs> was yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. But she has to find, like, they're looking for something else. I forgot what they were looking for. So the she holds up the Yeah. So she holds up the knife. And from the perspective you're looking at it, it matches up with an area of the Death Star. So obviously that's where the Wayfinder is. It's like, what is going on here? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, what, what video game Laura Craft bullshit is, is this? It, exactly. <laughs> like it broke every possible. But I mean, the thing is, I, I went back and watched just, you know, and we've all seen this a thousand times. Empire Strikes Back is not a complex story. It's a very basic story. Like Luke's doing his thing with Yoda. He's destined to meet Darth Vader. Han and um, Han and Leia get caught inside of an asteroid that's actually like a worm. And then they move on to Cloud City and they all get together. And it's like, wait a minute, this all makes sense. I could see how everyone went from A to B to C. I could not, I mean, the 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 third the episode nine just felt like a you pour like 200 jigsaw piece puzzles on the table. <laughs> And like, let's hope they fit together, and they didn't. And you know, I once will say that the the pre the sequels did make a lot of people appreciate the prequels. Oh my goodness! A little yeah. more better. Oh my goodness! Because, I mean, that's I that's mean, a that's a big cost though. To uh, I mean, I'm I agree with you. I mean, but um, you know, we were put through a lot to gain that appreciation of the prequels. <laughs> we were. We it, it is. We were, but like in in retrospect, although like I I, have, I still have nothing good to say about episode two. Like I don't, no, I don't. No, like, awful I, movie. <laughs> but there are like I, I, a lot of people hate on episode three for whatever reason. Like episode three is is good, and I will die on the, that hill. The lightsaber duel between Anakin and Obi Wan, like the order order 66 like the speech that obi-wan gives to anakin after he fucking like 
I will die on the episode three is a damn good Star Wars movie hill. I don't care what anyone's up. I think it's gained a lot of steam. Um, it, the third act of that, especially, I think is yes. pretty powerful. Yes. It really is. And like, um, it, like uh, for me, I just wish they had not, I wish they had started with an adult Anakin. Uh, you know, this is, look, it was at least you could say that was George Lucas's vision from start yeah. to finish, like it exactly. or not. Yes. Like yes. the episodes 100%. connected, right? I mean, so if you don't like George Lucas, you don't enjoy it like George Lucas. I always kind of wished for more for, um, for Ewan McGregor, who's one of my favorite. I mean, I went, to, I went and saw Train Spotting uh, when it came out because there were whispers wow. that you and someone in the movie was going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, I don't know if you know the actor Ewan Bremmer, but he is also in Train Spotting and he's like an extremely nerdy, um, rather manic individual. I was thinking, that can't be Obi-Wan Kenobi. But then, then suddenly Ewan McGregor, a young Ewan McGregor on, in the film, he's addicted to heroin, but he's um, got a crew cut and looks very young. I was like, I can see it. Yes, he is Obi-Wan. So I'm so glad they're making that series and that in general, they're saying yeah. we don't need to pack all of this, these expectations into these two hour movies that yeah. the episodic way to go is the way to go. I, I have kids, they don't wanna wait three years for a movie to come out. They don't care. They can go do something else more entertaining uh, five minutes from now. What are, so I know how I feel, I know how Ryan feels. What are your, and I don't know if you watch, I would assume you watch, but if you do, what are your thoughts on The Mandalorian? So I have to um, re-up with Disney to get to watch these this, the, the most recent two episodes. I think it's amazing. Um, epi- this, the first season, uh, it's in really good hands, obviously. Uh, I think that it's, it's this perfect mix of like whether you care about this universe or not. Yeah. The drama's pretty good. Uh, you don't, you can, they, I think that there's a looseness to it in a good way where we can go in a weird place for an episode. It, not everything mm. needs to connect together it has that sort of um aura of a western and uh yet there there are these lingering huge questions in the air over like why if there is a yoda species baby and you know you have half our our country that thinks that it is yoda as a baby five years after return of the jedi Just died. So it's get, like get get him out my face. Get him out my exactly. face. Exactly. Like that. Like like even two minutes of constructive thought would remove that <laughs> option from from the from the mind. But the idea that there's got to be you know we've always heard that that the the galaxy is a rumor mill. I mean certain some of the crawls even talk about you know whispers of this and that happening. That where where is Luke Skywalker? Where is Princess Leia? Where is Han Solo and Lando? Um, when when word comes that another Yoda species is being carted around by a Mandalorian of all things, uh, I just wonder if we are going to get um, you know some CGI cameos at some point by someone because there are you know in canon Luke and Lando spent years um, searching the galaxy for Jedi artifacts, so they're not oh. you know Luke is not uh, off on his little island yet. Oh, I would love if they brought in uh, Mark Hamill, and he, I bet he'd do it too. He said he's done with Star Wars, but you look. I think he, I think he's done like movie wise. But like, if Filoni and 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 John Favreau like approached him and gave him like a vision of what they like would see, like I think they could convince him to do like an episode or two or. I think so too, and I mean, I think you can. You there were like a few little gems in Episode Nine, like the de-aged Luke um, training with Leia. I mean, that he looked perfect, and we. The technology is more than robust enough to give us a young Mark Hamill if they needed to do it in some yeah. fashion. 
Yeah, it, it's that that would be that would be amazing. Um, so we're gonna pivot, I guess, pivot back to football really quickly. What are your thoughts on? You know, we don't have to go super super deep into, it, but what like what are your thoughts on the on the Browns like this for the rest of the season? I think they're they're a team. They're they're kind of just in the mix, and not, like I've. I think one thing about, you know, when we, when all of us, when we talk about these teams week after week, you got to have a dose of reality. I'm not like, like floating on a cloud over them. I think at their peak, cause they get Nick Chubb back in theory this week. He said that he's got, he has to be checked out, but it sounds like he could be back. Wyatt Teller who um, rose from the ashes to become one of the more dominant guards in football this season. He's coming back. Austin Hooper, who yes, he's a pass catcher, but he's a big part of their run blocking scheme. Um, is back as well. And so they, you know, they were averaging about 200, about 150 yards rushing a game. And that dipped when Nick Chubb was not in there down to about 96. So I get the Kareem Hunt is a valuable piece of the puzzle, but Nick Chubb is um, basically like, if I could just, you know, he's, he and Alvin Kamara are so different, but I love yeah. the fact that running backs can be so different. And Nick Chubb yeah. to me is a perfect Cleveland Brown. Um, their defense is a, is a di- absolute disaster. And so I, I, you know, I think they can beat the bad teams, um, probably get caught in a few trap games against bad teams and probably not beat the good teams. And so I think that they'll be alive in week 17 for a potential wildcard spot, but they play Pittsburgh and that could be the end. But I I think it's a step forward because, I mean, you guys know when you don't have to, you don't have to spend Monday through Friday wondering if Sean Payton is doing his job or if Sean Payton is actually good at doing his job. Like the last 27 or 28 Browns coaches, um, that would be my biggest concern. Like, is my coach actually watching film? If he's watching it, does he have more knowledge than I do uh, at watching film? And I sure hope he would. Um, but with, with Kevin Stefanski, I think he's brought a sense of calm. He's not really like a yes. high-low guy. He's kind of an even keel dude. Um, so that's, you know, and I think the front office with Andrew Barry is really forward thinking. So part of me, is like, yeah. this is a three or four or five year journey. Um, I yeah. don't need it all today. And I think a lot of brands are like, say we're a playoff team. And it's like, well, we're not a playoff team that you would really, you know, bet your house on, uh, or even like a dollhouse on, like, I think you just have to see what happens here. And like, um, take the positive with the positive and find out if we have a quarterback, um, it's not completely clear. I think that they're in a tricky spot with whether or not they, you know, extend Baker Mayfield, but um, you know, he's in his third or fourth system too. So long story short, I yeah. think that they're a, they're a contender for wild card and probably a contender to go get whacked um, by a much better team in the playoffs. What yeah, are your, think, go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I think, you know, next year is really going to be key for Baker Mayfield. Just second year, same system. You know, maybe they build a little more around him, which, you know, he has pretty good, you know, skill set around him now, but maybe build a, you know, better defense. I think it's going to be so key next year just to see, you know, if he can elevate it to another level. You know, it's, you know he's been good this year, but it's kind of, you know, up and down. But if you really just build that consistency, which is really what you really want in a franchise quarterback, like flash plays, spectacular plays are great, but really what separates like the true franchise quarterbacks from the promising quarterbacks is just that consistency week to week, you know what you're going to get. And I think, you know, Baker is capable of it. He's talented. It's just, we haven't seen that consistency yet. So I think that's, we'll, we'll really find those answers out next year. 
But, like, damn, I mean, these quarterbacks are so hard, man. It's like you just don't know. Like, I mean, look at Ryan Tannehill. He's, like, in his, what, 10th? I mean, 10th season? I mean, 11th? It's like, well, how do you figure these guys out? I don't know. Well, you know, separating from Adam Gase doesn't hurt um, a step true. A. Uh, but you're right. Like, it, like, they're not – I think the problem that – we are in the age of the greatest quarterbacks earth has ever watched. And a lot of them are playing right Mm -hmm. now before our eyes. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like, I mean, yes, the red shirt year, but it was like Mahomes arrives fully formed as the MVP, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. So the Baker Mayfields of the world, I mean, you know, Drew Brees was an excellent quarterback when he came out, but he went through, uh, you know, the, the, basically the Chargers said, thanks, but no, thanks. We're, Mm -hmm. we're going to find someone else. And the dolphins didn't want Brees. And it's like, some of and the nobody story, thought that was crazy. Like, no, no, I think you know, and, and yes, it was a little injury related. I mean, it was injury related, with the Dolphins, but it was a lot injury related. But that was like an organization that made a poor scouting report on that. And like all these, not all these quarterbacks like are MVP year two or three, and you got to kind of hang around a little bit. Um, but I think Baker still presents the negative questions too. And it's not, you know, I'm not into this like Baker Mayfield's a problem personality wise. Uh, I get he's a little overexposed. He 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 has an he has an annoying per- like him and Drew Locke. Like I I can deal without both of them. Like they, I they with just- you because I like I think if you were on another team, I'd be more on the caravan of like Baker Mayfield's uh-huh. driving me nuts. Um, as a Browns fan because he's been functional, it's like, look, I can't I can't even worry about that right now. Like uh, <laughs> I've got enough to worry about, but um. He, I think that that's part of his game. And I think that some of the problems, I think when his, when his confidence was dashed last year, he needs to be yeah. rolling with confidence. He needs to have a chip on his shoulder. Um, I don't know if that's a great quality. I, maybe you'd want a steady, even keel dude instead. Um, but uh, that's something they have to figure out too. I think he's worked really hard this year. I've not seen a lot of shenanigans or malarkey from him. Um, he's put his head down and, and gone to work. And, uh, but it's a huge question because, you know, like you don't want the quarterback like you don't want to create the next Kirk Cousins contract with a guy that can really only get you so far. And, and I think that there's, it's fair to question how far Baker Mayfield could take you right now. And I, I think, I mean, that was my next question. I was going to ask you just yes or no, like right now, like, do you think he's the guy? Well, I, I, I here's the problem. Like if they were, if they were one in six, I'd be in Dan's position as a Jets fan thinking like, I kind of hope they lose out because I'm pretty sure Trevor Lawrence is the guy based on everything everyone's saying. And maybe, you know, in life, um, when you can kind of like, you know, upsell a little bit, you want to do it. Uh, like, yeah. but I'm not down on Baker Mayfield. It's just that like, when you're, when you're with a young quarterback, who's not like Patrick Mahomes, it's fair to have a wandering eye. And like, is the team, smart enough to have a wandering eye if they assess that he's not. And I think it's just a very tricky, you're in a real tricky situation with these quarterbacks that are still going to be under contract for another season. If all that bubbles up as a, but, but am I like, do I think he's the guy I, I just say totally incomplete grade because I've seen too much down um, with the up. So I know, like, I know when I watch Justin Herbert, I'm like, Whoa, um, yeah, I don't feel that way when yeah, I watch Baker. There, so there's no, there's no question. With right. Someone, or, or, or um, you know, Joe Burrow, like you just, Burrow. you just see it. Yeah. Right. Like, am I comfortable with Baker Mayfield? You know, as long as big Ben stays big Ben, am I comfortable with, uh, you know, my team having the fourth best quarterback in the division uh, in general, you would typically say no to that. I mean, it's a really good division for quarterbacks, but um, I like, I'd have a, I'd have a hard time arguing that he's better than anyone else in that division. 
I need a you know listening to your podcast over the years. There's a kind of a bit where you guys, you know, they kind of make fun of you hanging out with Sean Payton in some bar somewhere. Oh yeah. Like, what, what's the story with that? Like, <laughs> dude, like, the, give me a Sean like, Payton story. He doesn't look, listen. I don't think this was. He doesn't. He doesn't listen. But his son has followed us. Yeah. Connor Payton has followed our Twitter account. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's well. His daughter worked at um at NFL uh, right, yeah. for a while too. Yeah. She was great, and like um I don't know her very well, but like um what little I got to know of her, she was she was awesome. Um, so the Sean Payton thing, you know, it was this was right before um the world shut down, and we were at the we were at the combine, and the combine in Indianapolis is it's essentially like you know you you roll out of bed, um you go scout players. If you're us, you you go um listen to the coaches and GMs speak. But at night, everyone is out um carousing and talking to each other. And there's these big Indianapolis bars uh, where like the 12 year old me would have had like a, a seizure because like everyone that you know in the NFL is like within 10 feet of you and drinking heavily. I'd say most everyone there too. Um, uh, from what I gather, Sean Payton likes to have a drink occasionally. And like uh, yeah. uh, this was a night where we were just like smashed in a bunch of people. And, and Sean Payton was trying to kind of cut down this thin corridor. And I saw him and I just said, like move aside, let's let the man through. And I put my hand on Sean Payton. Now he doesn't know me at all. So he's like, as long as this guy um, gets his hand off my shoulder, pretty cool, pretty soon we'll be fine. But I, I kind of like ushered him through. And I, I, I do that, like I did it for like the pleasure of Dan Hansis who I was hanging out with. It was like the last night we all hung out honestly before Corona. But Cause then, think about you know, cause that was, that was in February. And then in March, the like, whole entire world was down. Right. And absolutely like nuts. weeks later, uh, Sean Payton got Corona and I'm thinking like, not only did I like, like I, I was within like face to face with him, touching him. And then I, as I was leaving, because this was late at night, uh, there were a bunch of girls sitting at a table and Dan and I were leaving. And like, there was one girl sitting there and I was like, that was cool. Like we're having a great night. Um, let's show off and be funny. I just grabbed this girl's glass of white wine and picked it up and took a gigantic shot of it and put it back on the table and said, have a nice evening. We walked away and she like immediately um, put the glass on the other side of the table and was not going to drive. It's like, I hope I did not give her Corona. Um, I don't know if I have it. I've not been tested, but it was like, um, that was the Sean Payton moment and it came with some peril. Uh, Yeah. Weird times. Oh my God. Um, yeah, we're not we're not we're not gonna top that the rest of the episode. Uh, so we'll probably end on that note. Um, I just I just think it's absolutely insane if you just think about just where things are like because the combine's always in February, and what three four weeks later, like everyone's on lockdown. Like that's that just tells you how insane this year has been. Just truly in totality. Um, <laughs> You're 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 a wild man, Mark. We we love it. Um, oh, one 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 more thing. One more thing before we go. And I don't know if you can really talk. You guys kind of hit on it in the, in the pod. I want to say this year. How mad was like did T like did TD want to throw hands at Dan Hanses? <laughs> oh, that one, the one time way back when. Um, oh. No, because I think TD like is he is like a super peaceful guy. Um, I think he was genuinely annoyed. And I think it threw Dan, like Dan, Dan wasn't trying to annoy TD, um, which I think that sometimes that would be my strategy with TD. But like um, Dan was not, a, a, if I recall, trying to, but I think we were all kind of thrown by the fact that it got pretty real. Um, 
right away. And when that happens, um, I don't know if we cut mics or anything, or if we were even, I don't know what was going on, but it was like, or let's make it real clear to everyone that, that we weren't trying to start a fight there or anything. And I, and I, for the one time that I'm not involved in the conflict, I'm just sitting there thinking like, this is awesome. Like, I'm not involved, but uh, everyone else is like having to deal with this issue. And it's great. I mean, I think we all enjoy when someone else gets yes. um, into an awkward moment or has a lot of explaining to do. So I, it was, it was um, a joyful moment in my book. And the, and the hilarious thing is like, I remember like when, when Dan started doing like the impersonation or whatever, Ryan and I would literally text our, each other and say, TD's fucking pissed. Like we could tell, we'd be like, we knew it. Like we'd be like, like TD, TD, uh, we would say like TD wants to fucking smack the shit out of Dan. I, like, think, he was, I think he was really um, annoyed, but I just think that it probably healed itself pretty quick because I don't think Dan, Dan, Dan like, you know, we, he likes to rabble rouse a bit. Um, I mean, we all do, but he, he's, he's a special talent for that. I, I think he was thrown by the, the reaction and it was like, we're not going to do that skit again. <laughs> oh, it, I promise. Hey, I promise this is the real last one. Sure. Were you guys really scared about that whole Erica thing? That, that was really scary listening to that. That was with oh, the, but, the person that walked in the room in the house. Yeah, yeah, because that I, was freaky, man. I, I think in the I think in the moment we took some shots from people saying like you guys weren't taking it seriously or not, but I think we didn't realize what it was. Right. I right. didn't right away. Um, it was like, oh, a man, like a man's moving into an apartment, he has a frozen pizza and wants a knife. But then the more like the picture came into view, and you know, you're a girl, she's home alone. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it was really serious. And I think that that was really stressful for her. And so um Did people you know, really say that you guys didn't take it seriously? Like what? Well, I don't think people were like it wasn't like a like an official accusation, I, but I uh, I proves the subreddit because I, I I don't I don't but I proved it like after that whole thing happened because I wanted to see like the I guess like the video or whatever. Sure. And there are people on the subreddit like oh you guys are showing your sexist ways like you guys weren't I'm like like in the moment like they did like no one fucking knew like what the situation is. We like, didn't can we, know. Can we just calm, can we calm down just a little bit? Like, yeah, but yeah, it we, was a whole, we didn't know. whole thing. Well, yeah, and you're exactly right. And the weirdest thing was that, um, you know, because we were all on like our, our video Zoom scenario, like the guy walked behind her and was in view. Uh, and there was a screen capture, I think on the Reddit board or somewhere yeah. else. So yes. it got real. And like, the good thing was like, um, she has some, she has some amazing friends that work at NFL too, that like, uh, Eddie Spaghetti, who works on a couple podcasts, came right over, and he's a big dude. And like, uh, yeah. I think that that helped. And the and the police responded, so you know, it got taken care of. I think when we found it, it was like, call right now, like get help. But um, in the moment, we were also in the middle of doing a show, and so yeah. it was like you're not processing. You're not like someone calling you in concern. It was like we're also. I'm sitting here talking about the Detroit Lions, and this is happening <laughs> behind her. So it was an odd. It was a, a weird moment, but yeah. Oh man. Do a great show. You guys do a great show. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Um, man, this this has been fun, Mark. Yeah, it is. I agree. We we loved having you on. We you know, want to get you on again. We we have this grand idea, and I don't know if it's ever gonna work just with everyone's schedule, um, of getting like you, Greg, Patrick, and and Patrick on on the same time. Just just Oh yeah. It's easy to do. I mean I well I'm free. I mean I maybe those guys have more going on than I do, but I'm I'm relatively free socially. That so that's that's a goal. Just have like this huge just us 
you know, just having fun on the podcast. I, as I say that, Greg literally just fucking texts me to send me something. Um, he doesn't so, know I'm doing this, by the way. So I know I told him. I told oh, you him. Did? Okay, okay. Yeah, he likes to make fun of me. He's like, oh, look at you guys make like make like booking and get like booking your guests like ahead of time and get because like the times like he's got like he's come on the show like it's been like I've sent him like a text like, hey, like are you free to just jump on? <laughs> like oh look at you guys being professional like setting well, i'm gonna up. tell him i'm just gonna say i was blown away by the not only the level of professionalism um in the lead up to this but just the the total uh flawless execution from wire to wire <laughs> he's like what podcast did you go on he's like no 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 uh but no it's been it's been a pleasure having you on uh we we for you we wish you and the Browns, you know, the best in terms of, yes. the, of the season. It's different for us. Like Ryan and I, we, ever since the NFC championship game, like the level of like being diehard, like we had to cut that, we had to cut that road. Mm. You know, yeah. that was, that was both our final straw. Like I made the promise to myself, like no matter what happens to like the saints, um, win, loss, whatever, like, I will never let myself get emotionally, like, that depressed over a football team, because I was just in a, just a bad place after Ooh, that, that no call, like, bad, like, I, I deleted my Twitter for, like, a month, people were, like, checking <laughs> in on me, like, I, it was dark, and I was, like, uh, and then that, it dawned on me, I was, like, why, like, it's a fucking football team, like, why do I feel like this, like, this is dumb, um, and we, like, I could tell, like, listening to you on the on your pod, that when the Browns are doing well, like, there's still that that like that spark in your voice, like, and I'm like, oh, my my, my guy's still in, he's still in it, still in. I'm still in. <laughs> and I think, hey, you're gonna you're gonna be in when. I, here here's what I kind of see happening, like when when Trey Hendrickson has three sacks in the NFC title game and leaves Tom Brady like a mangled mess on the carpet. Like you're going to be all the way back in oh, at that point. Listen, Ryan and I have said if they make it to the Super Bowl, that's, oh, that's that's, that's it. it. That's, that's, that's it. it. I'm jumping back. I'm jumping back in. We yeah. got to. You know, <laughs> you have to. Like, well, you guys are running. You're you're running a Saints podcast to be emotionally involved to some degree. Yeah. would make some sense. But uh, I understand. But I understand. We, we got to get you back on. Good luck to the Browns. Uh, you know, we and, and thank you again for coming and making the, making the time just to get on and just chat with us. It's been great. Um, yes. If you're a fan of Mark, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Sessler. That's M A R C. And then um, check out his his work, his content on NFL.com. Um, he did an amazing, amazing long long form uh in regards to the, to the browns that you know yes. like two years ago i want to say give or take if my memory's correct yeah maybe. it was it was um yeah the stuff i'm doing weekly i wouldn't bother with that so much if you have a busy <laughs> schedule but that that one i put some put some heart into uh, no that was great i read that it was awesome yeah so uh follow mark on follow mark on twitter uh you can follow him on, uh follow him on twitter read the long form mark we, we appreciate it man we really we really enjoyed it Thank you. I, I loved it. And um, I would, I would rush to do it again. Uh, and I insist on returning at some point. I must appear as many times as Patra and Greg. Let's right. at least, let's at least make that happen. Uh, so right now Greg's been on twice and Patrick's been on twice and Patrick's been on twice. So. Well, I have some work to do um, but that, you know, but I can't invite myself. So that would require <laughs> it has to be some teamwork. So. Oh, okay. For real, last question. 
I know you have those crazy eating habits. Not crazy, sorry, that sounds bad. But I know you have your particular eating habits. So when you guys went to Puesto in Irvine, what did you get? Puesto in Irvine, where was that? I don't even remember where, I don't even help jog my memory where on where that was. So I told Greg about it and it was when, I want to say the Rams was doing training camp in Irvine or something oh, like that. Oh, I know what you mean. Um, that, oh, this is not going to help my case at all. <laughs> oh God, uh, but on, I was literally doing like a kind of a preseason uh, lose like some pounds, please, before the games get going. And I was honestly on a, juice fast and went to that restaurant with like nine or 10 NFL network people. Oh, and what God. people were eating looked amazing. Um, but I was, I had ordered like orange juice. And so I don't know if like, <laughs> it almost feels like you were given information about that because, um, no, no, I, no, I, I, I know I wasn't. <laughs> I should go back there though, because that place looked awesome. And like, I was, that was when I was sort of questioning m most of my decisions, like <laughs> the eating, like this luxurious, like chips and guacamole and these amazing, like, I don't come on, what am I doing here? So that was, you know, just a, a bit of an embarrassment on my part. Um, not the last. Best tacos in the world. They have the most amazing filet mignon tacos, even though I know you don't eat meat, but um, yeah, you, you have to go back and they, they have, they would have tons of stuff that you would, would devour as well. But wow, okay. when we get back to restaurants, I might just start eating meat at this point. It's like, if they, if we're going to be allowed back into society, all bets oh, are off. So. <laughs> You just you just want to be at a restaurant just yes. fucking eating. No? I'll give I'll eat anything at this point. So, <laughs> all right, we're gonna get we're gonna get out of here. Thanks again for coming on, Mark. Uh, and then Ryan and I will we have another pod tomorrow, and then we're gonna have the preview pod. Um, but we have plenty of content coming. So with that, we're out. All right, Peace. thanks, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.